Pelvic Rehab Research Podcast. My name is Becca Bissadolshevsky, and I'll be your host guiding you as we take a deep dive into all things pelvic floor and research-based. Whether you're a pelvic newbie or a seasoned clinician, I'm here to help busy therapists listen through the Women's Health Study Guide. So if you're studying for the Women's Certified Specialist Exam or just interested in learning more about pelvic health research, we've got you covered. Hey everyone, welcome back. We've got a Boissonnant 2005 article, which is fun to say, Um, but unfortunately this is an article requiring purchase. So I have the abstract and a related article that the abstract reports is supplementary. So let's start with the 2005 Boissonnant abstract. This clinical commentary is supplementary to the article reprinted with permission from JOSPT, Boissonnalt WG, Boissonnalt JS, which is called Transient Osteoporosis of the Hip Associated with Pregnancy in 2001. The purpose of this article is to provide an updated overview of the literature related to etiology and pathogenesis of transient osteoporosis during the childbearing year. Clinical implications for differential diagnosis and clinical management of the condition relevant to physical therapist practice are presented. So obviously we don't have that article in order to go over the practice that is presented. So I'm gonna jump into the 2001 article that's for free, is supplemental, and full disclosure is what I had used to study. I did make the good college effort to request the article, but I haven't gotten permission by the time that I took the exam. I actually even haven't gotten permission yet, so maybe I requested it wrongly. I'm not really sure. If there's a better way to do it, I just don't know it. Send me an email. Um, Okay, so on to transient osteoporosis of the hip associated with pregnancy by William Boissonault and Jill S. Boissonault, who are both PTs. This was actually published in JOSPT in 2001. Osteoporosis is generally defined as an age-related disorder characterized by decreased bone mass and increased bone fragility in the absence of other recognizable causes of bone loss. Osteoporosis, while occurring most commonly on Caucasian women over the age of 50 years old, can occur at other points of the life cycle and one of those time periods being pregnancy. Transient osteoporosis is reported to occur in some women in the third trimester. In the women who develop this transient osteoporosis, there's also back, groin, hip, or lower extremity pain that may result. And in rare instances, this condition is manifested by bony fracture. So pregnancy increases the demand on maternal skeleton stores with 30 grams of calcium required for mineralization of the fetal skeleton. This calcium need is met by an increased maternal bone resorption, decreased maternal bone formation, increased intestinal calcium absorption, and decreased urinary calcium excretion. The maternal skeleton calcium store is said to be about 1,000 grams, which is generally thought to be adequate to meet both the mother and the fetal's requirements. The cause of transient osteoporosis isn't really clear and there's multiple theories, so let's go through those. One theory is being that osteoporosis in pregnant women may be associated with some genetic factor that may possibly lead to lower bone densities. Another study suggests that the disease is related to a particular pregnancy, most often the first pregnancy, and perhaps to characteristics of a given fetus. A study following pregnancy patients with osteopenia noted that patients' pre-existing osteopenia coupled with fetal calcium demands induced the osteoporosis with resultant complaints of debilitating left hip and left leg pain and an inability to bear weight by 35 weeks gestation. 
One study that I thought was interesting and kind of scary actually was that cautioned it may have a permanent sequela and necessitate long-term follow-up of both mother and offspring. So they actually did a longitudinal study of pregnant women with osteopenia and found that not only did the osteopenia persist at the distal radii of these women, the osteopenia was also present in the radii of their daughters ages 13 and 11. One study wants us to consider that a rapid change in relevant hormonal or chemical factors might be responsible for the immediate pain relief, as some of their patients had immediate pain relief following pregnancy termination. For transient osteoporosis, classic signs are going to present as things like a third trimester onset complaints of pain in the inguinal or the greater trochanteric regions that may radiate to the anterior thigh, change the range of motion limitations of the hip, and functionally restrict weight bearing. Now, recovery time is said to be anywhere from 2 to 12 months, though breastfeeding may prolong this. This study then presents a case study, so let's get into that. Okay, so this patient was 32 years old. She had a referral for sciatica. The referral was from an OBGYN and a certified midwife. So the chief complaint was that sciatic pain, and then there was also a complaint of um, function being interrupted and deep right groin pain. The groin symptoms began approximately four weeks prior to the initial PT visit, and then of note, the complaints were of intermittent stiffness, not pain for the hip. The stiffness onset wasn't pinpointed to any isolated incident or occurrence, and she reported there wasn't a change in physical activity prior to the stiffness. Seven to 10 days prior to the physical therapy visit, the hip stiffness was replaced by an intense, sharp groin pain and a constant aching sensation that she felt really deep inside of her hip. There was also no preluding cause to the sudden worsening of the pain per this patient, and it wasn't reported to the midwife either. At the time of the initial PT visit, the patient rated the hip pain intensity between a 4 and a 9 on a scale of 0 to 10. The intense sharp pain, which was 9 out of 10, was provoked immediately with weight bearing. Functionally, standing was limited to 10 minutes and walking was limited to 2 to 3 blocks. So up until one week prior to the PT visit, sitting and lying down would completely relieve the pain, but now these positions only relieved the sharp pain while the deep aching pain remained. The patient also described the need to lift the right leg with both hands in order to get into and out of the car and the bed. This was not due to weakness, but more so like an avoidance of that sharp groin pain that necessitated the lifting of her leg. In addition to those chief complaints, the patient also described an ache that extended from the central low lumbar region into the right buttock and the lateral thigh just distal to the lateral knee joint line. This intermittent ache was accompanied by lateral right lower leg paresthesia, and these symptoms began insidiously three months prior to the initial PT visit, and they had slowly worsened over the 12 weeks. The intensity of these symptoms ranged between 2 and 5 out of 10, with sitting and forward flexed trunk postures being the most provocative factors. Sitting was limited to 10 minutes at the time of the appointment. The patient was 29 weeks pregnant with her first child. She reported no complications with the pregnancy and was seeing a nurse midwife every two weeks. Her past medical history included left low back pain and left sciatica from an L5-S1 herniated nucleus pulposus. During questioning, weight gain, fatigue, and dysuria were noted by the patient during a review of systems. The weight gain and the fatigue was considered normal and the midwife was investigating the dysuria symptoms. So I'm sure some things that are standing out to you include the inconsistency of symptoms associated with the joint and the soft tissues, 
as well as the severity of pain, that 9 out of 10 pain is really high. The sudden onset of symptoms, the inability to lift the leg, the no prior incident or accident, with consistently worsening signs and symptoms. Also, the location of the chief complaint was in the right groin, which isn't the same area as the referring diagnosis of sciatica, which isn't always new to us as PTs. You know, we get a referral for knee pain and they're coming in with a totally different area, (laughs) Um, but something to consider, right? It's also of concern that non-weight-bearing positions did not completely resolve the pain anymore. So I wanted to touch on the dysuria complaints, since those haven't been figured out. Remember that dysuria is a potential symptom of urinary tract infections, which is a risk factor for osteomyelitis. However, osteomyelitis in adults occurs more frequently in the elderly and most commonly involves the vertebral column as opposed to the long bones like the hips of the extremities. One author noted that the reduced bone density during pregnancy and the associated complications should be considered. So the sharp groin pain and the deep aching in the hip is a clear sign to examine scream the hip and the pelvis, including those SI joints, the pubic symphysis, and associated soft tissue structures. So we're going to think a full lumbar spine and neuro exam too, based on those lower leg, buttock, and thigh complaints. So let's get into that physical exam and see what happened. Now for posture, the antalgic gait was noted with increased pain over the right lower extremity weight bearing. Also, the patient's weight was almost fully shifted over to the left lower extremity, and the right lower extremity was externally rotated. So any attempt to have the patient internally rotate the right lower extremity and weight bear symmetrically resulted in the provocation of the sharp right groin pain. Trunk active range of motion provoked the right groin pain at the end range of forward flexion and right side bending. During forward flexion, the patient's fingertips reached four inches below the knees, and during right side bending, her fingertips reached about two inches above the lateral knee joint line. So there was a moderate stretch in the posterior right thigh with that end range flexion. They also noted that trunk backward bending was reduced at the lumbosacral junction, and right lumbosacral junction pressure was noted by the patient. So during left side bending, the patient's fingertips reached three inches below the lateral left knee joint line. The patient felt a mild stretch at the right iliac crest and an end range of left side bending. So in supine, this patient had tenderness to palpation at the right femoral triangle, just distal to the triangle. Pressure at the pubic bone, but there was no tenderness or pain. Ileal shear and gapping tests didn't increase pain or provoke the groin pain either. The patient was unable to actively move the right hip because of the sharp groin pain. Active assistive hip range of motion and passive hip range of motion assessment resulted in provocation of the patient's chief complaint at the end range of flexion and internal rotation. Hip abduction on the right and extension on the right resulted in a sharp pulling sensation in the groin area, while end range of external rotation produced only a slight twinge of pain in the groin. For hip passive range of motion, an empty end field was noted with right hip flexion and internal rotation, and a spasm end field was found with abduction. So let's go over some of those end fields. Remember that an empty end field is provocation of considerable pain before the examiner senses any tissue resistance to the passive movement. That spasm end field is an abrupt stop to the passive movement secondary to muscle spasm, which makes sense. This patient had a capsular end field with external rotation and extension. 
that capsular end feel is going to feel like a firm arrest of movement with some give noted at the end of the passive range. The passive straight leg raise was limited to 30 degrees due to pain, right hip joint lateral distraction, and long axis distraction per the McGee technique were unsuccessful due to the patient's inability to relax sufficiently because of her intense groin pain. Muscle length and strength testing were held due to pain as well. On the neuro exam, here were their findings. They noted slightly decreased light touch sensation over the lateral aspect of the right lower leg. The right Achilles reflex was graded one plus, while the quad reflex and their left Achilles reflex were graded two plus. Um, Just remember for reflexes that two plus is normal, so that one plus would be slightly diminished. For hip range of motion, this patient had hip flexion of 125 degrees on the left and only 85 degrees on the right with pain. Internal rotation was 40 on the left, 5 degrees on the right with pain. External rotation was 55 degrees on the left, 50 to 55 degrees on the right with pain. For hip extension, 15 degrees on the left, 5 to 8 degrees on the right, and adduction was not tested. The right hip range of motion findings suggested the presence of a capsular pattern of restriction, which Syriax describes that capsular pattern of movement limitation, a characteristic of a specific joint when the lesion involves either the joint capsule or that synovial membrane. So remember that hip capsule pattern specifically. It's defined as gross limitation of flexion, abduction, and medial or internal rotation with slight limitation of extension and little to no limitation of lateral or external rotation. We know that the patient had increased pain with lumbar spine motions and testing, but just to note, the patient reported that the hip test provoked a much more intense sense of pain than the trunk movement. The authors also mentioned that if the right hip test had not been so provocative of pain, further testing of the SI joint and lumbar region would have been completed. A clinical decision concerned the etiology of the chief complaint and whether PT intervention was even appropriate at this time. The extent of the right hip range of motion loss was consistent with the subjective complaint and the pain severity of 9 out of 10. The empty end feel noted with right hip flexion and internal rotation indicated the potential presence of hip pathology. When intense pain stops the passive movement at this point in the range of motion, it could be associated with serious disease such as infection, neoplasm, or acute bursitis. So also alarming was the provocation of sharp groin pain with straight leg raise to 30 degrees. Given all those pieces, the decision was made to refer the patient back to her physician for an evaluation prior to initiating any physical therapy treatment. This patient's treatment course included the referral back to her OBGYN, some lab testing for blood and urine regarding infection, and she had less hip pain at 6 out of 10, which she reports may have been due to using crutches and was off of work. The OB recommended an orthopedic physician if her pain continued, which she ended up doing and getting a conventional radiograph of both the hips and the pelvis. These images showed osteopenia of the right proximal femur and acetabulum. There wasn't any evidence of fracture or avascular necrosis. They then wanted to determine the cause of osteopenia and an MRI was ordered. The MRI revealed bone marrow edema at the right femoral head, neck, and intertrochanteric region. 
the radiologist's impression included possible very early avascular necrosis, but he believed the findings were due to transient osteoporosis. So based off of this and our clinical exam findings, the ortho doc diagnosed the patient with transient osteopenia of the hip associated with pregnancy. The patient was told the condition was self-limiting and would resolve over time, and she was instructed to use the crutches until she could ambulate without that sharp groin pain. The patient was also scheduled to have conventional radiographs taken of the right hip in two months. So this patient did return to PT, but based on pain, she participated in aquatic PT. The primary goals were to increase right hip range of motion and strength and to promote an increase in bone density. The general instruction was to avoid or not provoke the sharp right groin pain. She did this for about four weeks for 10 visits total, and following this was no longer using crutches and the pain was alleviated. She still experienced some intermittent deep ache in the right hip area though, especially towards the end of the day. Right groin pain was still provoked at the end of range in hip flexion and internal rotation, but range of motion had increased to 95 and 15 degrees respectfully. The lateral thigh pain and paresthesia also resolved. So finally, when they performed the repeat imaging, it showed a significantly increased degree of bone density in the proximal femur and the acetabulum on that right side. So she was advised to continue slowly progressing her activity level, and she was still at risk for developing a stress fracture if she became too aggressive with her weight-bearing activities. So this patient returned to her physician's office for a follow-up MRI about three or four weeks, so she was 15 weeks postpartum which showed a marked reduction of the bone marrow edema compared to her prior MRI findings. So subjectively, the patient stated that she still experienced daily right hip stiffness and soreness with the intensity range of zero to four out of 10. So let's get to some of our take home points here. Physical therapists must decide if a patient presents with a condition for which PT intervention is appropriate or if a physician referral and consult are warranted. And that may mean for direct access, you know, meeting up with the physician for the first time or going back and discussing your findings with them again. So remember that not everyone referred to you is meant to be managed by you and you only. Osteoporosis occurring in women of childbearing age who do not have a history of relevant comorbidities such as chronic renal or gastrointestinal disease could easily be overlooked by clinicians. So think about those clusters of symptoms and remember to look at the lumbar spine, the hip, and the SI joint. All of our patients, regardless of age and whether pregnant or postmenopausal, should be reminded of the importance of diet and adequate calcium intake. Even the best weight-bearing exercise prescription is not going to be helpful unless calcium intake is adequate. I also just wanted to re-go over the causes of transient osteoporosis because it's not clear, there were multiple theories, and I just wanted to simplify it a little bit more in case your patients are asking that why me question, right? So the first theory is that osteoporosis in pregnant women may be associated because of a specific genetic factor with themselves, so we can blame the genetic factors of the mother. The second theory is that it may be due to the characteristics of their fetus, and that's most often the first baby. And then the third theory just kind of includes both of those. It's the issue of the osteopenia in the pregnant mother and those genetic factors, coupled with potentially those characteristics of the fetus and their calcium demands. So just as a reminder, those three theories that there's no clear-cut answer right now. All right, pelvic people, I appreciate you all listening to me and joining me for this episode. So next up, we have an article by 
Butler in 2006. And this is on postural equilibrium during pregnancy, decreased stability with increased reliance on visual cues. And then I'm going to do a a two-for-one special and also include the Cook 2000 article on inter-rater reliability and the diagnostic accuracy of pelvic girdle pain and classification. So I hope to see you all listening there. Bye, everyone.